Good afternoon, good evening. My name is Herb. Welcome to our Big Book 12-step workshop. Please join me in prayer for an open mind. God, please set aside everything that I think I know about myself, my brokenness, the 12 steps in you, for an open mind and a new experience of myself, my brokenness, the 12 steps, and especially you. Please join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. We're looking at the most subtle and subversive aspect of step one addiction, the first half of the first step. And I say it that way because the allergy, the doctor's opinion, is very straightforward. It's concrete. It's about chemistry. It's about biology. In the big book, of course, it's about alcohol. I broaden it to any form of addiction, process, or substance. And it's pretty straightforward. When I start, I cannot stop. But it's much more subtle and less straightforward. Once I stop, I cannot stay stopped, really. No choice, powerless. And we're looking at obsession and we're looking at delusion. We're looking at, is this knowledge? Is this premeditation? Is this a decision? What is it? When I stop, and I stop for a while, I can't stay stopped. And sometimes I'm aware of picking up and my relapse, and sometimes I'm absolutely unaware of it. And there are different patterns and different proportions of what I just said experienced by each person. But the question that I challenge you to challenge yourself with, and I really mean it, don't overlook this challenge to yourself. After a period of abstinence, I don't care whether it's a, a day or a weekend or a week or a month or a year, after a period of abstinence by your definition, a commitment to not uh, use the substance or engage in the process. After one period, did you relapse? What were you thinking or feeling or aware of or conscious of two to three to five minutes? That time period before the relapse, before the ingestion of the substance, before the engagement with the process. What were you thinking, feeling, aware of, conscious of? 
in your history. That's why it's important to take a look at the questions that are posed in the mind worksheet. You're welcome to finish it now to complete that worksheet by next week. I'm not setting a target date. I'm just sort of setting a guideline, a suggestion now. You've been asking, I hope, the questions and holding the questions and not answering, but reflecting on your own personal history in light of those questions. And now it's time to put something in writing. But be specific, and you'll hear it today in our workshop. And you'll hear it tomorrow in the listener's workshop. I'll engage people at a, a level of specificity that you might not have experienced so far because it's drilling down into the specifics, almost tedious specifics in which the experience can be precipitated. I know that that was my experience with this man who took me through the steps the second time. The first time the man took me through, I, I, I got and had an experience with the phenomenon of craving. I don't recall any information or journey in looking at any problem with the mind, any concept of the obsession, any concept of the delusion, any, I had no experience that first time. I'm saying it that way because it's my observation that it's a process and that gives lots of people a lot of, um, room, a lot of uh, reinforcement that they don't have to have an immediate experience with all of this all at once. Oh my God, that's certainly not my experience. It was over a 10-year period. I got sober in 84. I had an experience the first time with the steps and in step one only, the doctor's opinion. Three years later, I had an experience with the mind, but only the mind in step one. And three years later, 10 years sober, already having two spiritual awakenings, already being in step studies and book studies and sponsoring people and taking them through the steps. I was completely clueless with regard to the final piece of step one, the part after the dash unmanageability. We're not going there yet. Tonight, we'll look at Jim's story. I don't believe we'll get further than that. I've asked you to read Jim's story and read Fred's story, pages 35 to 43, and to compare them. How are they the same and how are they different? But I now have experience with unpacking it. We did so on Sunday. To, to know that we'll only get through Jim's story and then I'll allude to the jaywalker. And next week, we'll take a look at Fred's story and do the comparison and do the distinctions. This man who took me through the steps the second time met with me three different times for two hours each time to go over the same history. But each time he got more specific. And that's why I'm taking as long as I am and each time being more specific with you. 
I hope to replicate in you an experience that I had that was foundational to this aspect of step one and gave me a de desperate sense of no choice, no power. Page 35. So we shall describe some of the mental states that precede a relapse into drinking, for obviously that's the crux of the problem. Why does he relapse? What is he thinking? You see, this is about demonstrating that knowledge is of no avail. It's important. Let me not dismiss knowledge. If I didn't understand the nature of craving as the doctor's opinion described it, I couldn't have had the experience with it. If I didn't understand the nature of obsession and delusion, I couldn't have applied specifically my own personal history to identify how I had been hijacked by an obsession. So it's really important to have the knowledge. That's why we do the dictionary work. He gives us this example, though, of Jim, a charming wife and family, an inherited a lucrative automobile agency, had a commendable war record, a good salesman. Everybody likes him. He's intelligent. Oh, my gosh. What a wonderful guy. And now it says he did no drinking until he was 35. He inherited an automobile agency. This is 1939 when Bill is writing this, and he inherited it from his father. His father probably knew uh, Ford and got some of the first uh, franchises to sell cars. This guy's set up for life, but he drinks, and when he drinks, he goes to the nut house. He goes to the asylum, it says. But here's the key to the story, page 35, the last line in the second paragraph. It's the absolute key for me that opened the door to understand and apply this experience. On leaving the asylum, he came into contact with us. Who's us, I have to ask? It's Bill Wilson writing this story, maybe remembering his early time with Bob in Akron when they went to the hospitals looking for alcoholics, when they went to the jails looking for alcoholics, when they went to the missions looking for alcoholics, and when they went to the asylums looking for alcoholics. But here's the lesson here, how proactive they were. There were only two of them. There was no book. There was no understanding. There was no instructions. They didn't know what they were doing. But what they did know is they had to reach out and help somebody with the six steps of the Oxford group. And then he begins. We told him what we knew of alcoholism. Well, what did they know? Bill had been armed with facts about his own drinking from Silkworth when he went to see Dr. Bob in Akron. He knew about the body problem, powerless. He knew about the mind problem, powerless. He had had them both explained to him and he had an experience of them 
from Dr. Silkworth. That's what he was armed with when he went to see Bob, and that's what Bob could identify with. Not any of the spiritual stuff, transformation stuff, spiritual awakening stuff. Bob knew much more than Bill did. But Bill was able to talk about his relationship with drinking and alcohol, and Bob related to that. So that's what they're relating to Jim. But they also gave him the answer they had found because Jim is in the nut house and he knows he's powerless over alcohol. He has that experience. Every time he drinks, he goes to the insane asylum. I mean, literally insane asylum. We're talking about psychiatric here. And so they not only tell him about the problem so that Jim can identify with that and go, yeah, that's me. But once Jim acknowledges that, they tell him about the solution, the answer. What's the answer? Find God. Find a power other than yourself. He made a beginning. It's the same words that Bill uses in step three on page 63. He says, this is only a beginning in step three. Now, in the day when Bill is and Bob are experimenting with this thing in 1935, they took people through the six steps within the same meeting. Are you powerless over alcohol? Yes, I go to the nut farm. Do you believe in God? Absolutely. Get on your knees and give your life to God. And, and now go in the back room there and write your inventory. And we'll wait. Two hours later, the guy comes out. He reads his inventory in a fifth step by our standards. And they send him out to make amends. Now, after the amends, we know that the promises are manifest. Listen to this. His family is reassembled. He began to work as a salesman. He got a job. Now, it was with his firm that he used to own, but at least he's grateful to have a job. All went well for a time. His life is the promises are manifesting wonderfully. But here, ominously, without much explanation, Bill says he failed to enlarge his spiritual life and he got drunk a half a dozen times in rapid succession. Wow, I guess we should understand what does it mean he failed to enlarge his spiritual life. Well, we don't get that information here on page 35, but eventually because of the work that I did and the understanding of the book from cover to cover, I discovered an answer to what Bill means by that by looking on page 14 in his own story. We haven't looked at that part yet because we only looked at the first half of his story in step one. We'll look at the second half of his story uh, when we look at step two. We didn't, I didn't want to take a look at a solution. I want to stay in the problem. But I'm going to have you look on, the, on page 14 at the very bottom, the very last line, the very last line on page 14. For if an alcoholic failed to perfect and enlarge his spiritual life, bingo. It's the same phrase, almost perfect. He failed to enlarge his spiritual life through work and self-sacrifice for others. Oh, it's not about prayer and meditation. It's about carrying the message to other people. Step six by the Oxford Group Standards, step 12 by ours. Helping other alcoholics. 
helping others in a broadest sense for us. So he had gotten the promises and got distracted with getting his life back, getting his life and his finances straightened out. And he forgot that part of the solution is to sustain your spiritual awakening by bringing help and spiritual awakening to others. He agreed he was a real alcoholic. That's why they told him about the solution. He knew he faced another trip to the asylum. He would lose his family and everything else in his life. And on page 36, it says he, he drank again. Now, he gives us some hints as to the background. He's got a little resentment on Tuesday. He doesn't own the firm anymore, but not a big deal. He goes out like he has many times to into the field to find a buyer for cars like he has many times. He stops for lunch because he's hungry now. It's been a long day, and he stopped there many times. He knows that there's a bar there, but it's never bothered him before. Suddenly, the thought crossed my mind. It's in italics that if uh, I were to put an ounce of whiskey in my milk, it couldn't hurt me on a full stomach. You see, there's the obsession, the thought that is a lie. I ordered a whiskey and poured it into my milk. I vaguely sensed. So he had some consciousness. He had some awareness. He had some feeling that he wasn't being too smart, he says. But it was completely overridden you see hijacked by the thought that another whiskey uh, I can pour it into the milk and it won't bother me and I'll try another. Thus he, again, he, now he's fired it up. He's pulled the trigger. The phenomenon of craving is in place and he drinks until he goes to the asylum again. But notice on page 35, it says, he found himself drunk a half a dozen times in rapid succession on each of these occasions we worked with him. They didn't throw him away. They didn't say, come back when you're serious. Obviously, you don't want to get sober because you keep relapsing. They never said any of that. Every time he drank, six times in a row, they visit him in the asylum and they ask him what happened. Because they know he's powerless. He knows he's powerless. He faced this intense mental and physical suffering. He had much knowledge about himself as an alcoholic. He's working with the co-founders of Alcoholics Anonymous in my story, in my speculation. I've got no evidence for this, but it makes for a good story. Yet all reasons for not drinking were easily pushed aside in favor of the foolish idea that he could take whiskey if only he mixed it with milk. Hear the delusion. Hear the lie. Hear the obsession. Hear the thought over which he has very little control. Whatever the precise definition of the word may be, we call this plain insanity. Here it is on page 37. I promised you many weeks ago that Bill would give us a definition of insanity, which is important, of course, 
when we're dealing with addiction, what's the mental problem? But it's more important when we're dealing with step two, because step two says we're restored to sanity. We better know what insanity means in the big book. Here it is. A lack of proportion. Page 37, first paragraph. Insanity is a lack of proportion. You see, it comes from insanus. Sanus, Latin for health, not healthy. A lack of proportion. Again, another definition. A lack of the ability to think straight. You see, we're not normal. Normal people learn from negative consequences to their behavior. Normal people will do it once, twice, or three times at the max, and then they will change because nobody likes suffering. But addicts forget to remember. They don't connect the dots. They don't see the puzzle piece picture. They see a lot of pieces, but they don't see the picture. They're never able to put the puzzle pieces together. What kind of thinking is this? A curious mental phenomena, insanely trivial excuse, sound reasoning failed, the insane idea won out. These are just highlights of phrases in this material on page 37. We feel justified by nervousness, anger, worry, depression, jealousy. Many of us have said, well, it won't hurt me this time. Oh, well, I've earned it. Oh, well, uh, it's been one year, two years, 15 years now. I'm okay now. I got this. Insanely insufficient in light of what always happened. There is, here it is, page 37, puts the, one of the nails in the coffin. There is little serious or effective thought during the period of premeditation of what the terrific consequences might be. Jim had some vague idea he wasn't being too smart. One of the contrasts is Fred's story is that he didn't have any thought at all. He called it a strange mental blank spot. Pay attention to that phrase. Strange mental blank spot. My God, that's my story. I would never have phrased it in that way, but that's a perfect phrase for my story. 20 years of drinking, many times quitting because of the suffering that I had endured, many times for 30 days or 60 days or 90 days, and always starting again with actually no remembrance of why I quit, or even the reflection that I'm starting despite the fact I quit. I just began again. And so Bill gives us the Jay Walker story. I'm not going to walk you through this story. It's pretty straightforward. Bill says, it's a crazy story. Nobody deals like that. And yet when, he's, when we take his suggestion of substituting our relationship with our addiction to the Jay Walker story, he says, we fail to un understand ourselves, but we can see ourselves in this story. Page 39, absolutely unable to stop drinking on the basis of self-knowledge. This is the point of this section that we're dealing with today and next week. It's in italics. Absolutely unable to stop drinking on the basis of self-knowledge or knowledge of everything that we're talking about. Your ability to understand and repeat a good definition of 
obsession and uh, delusion and the analysis of Jim and uh, Fred's story is going to be wonderful for you to help other people, but it will not protect you. That knowledge, that understanding will not protect you. This is a point we wish to emphasize and re-emphasize to smash home upon our alcoholic readers as it has been revealed to us out of bitter experience. I mean, that's not gentle. Listen to it. Emphasize and re-emphasize to smash home. Based on experience, and that's what we're doing when we spend so much time having our dialogue about your specific experience here. And that's what I would like to focus on today. We've talked several times and I've come to the conclusion that my problem that I can't overcome, because I've been in the program for five years, I lost all the weight and gained it all back. The problem is, is um, step three. And we're not there yet, but I just haven't been. Well, actually, actually, the real problem is that you don't have perhaps a commitment to a way of life, 10, 11, and 12. It's not about step three. Although it's wonderful for you to think about mm. a more effective relationship with step three, but Bill's very clear in the big book, on, in step three on page 63, that that's only a beginning. Four through nine uh, are the action steps that bring you to a spiritual awakening. So there's a lot of moving parts here. Let's go back here to mm, your relationship with addiction right now. We're talking about obsession and delusion. Do you have uh, uh, any thoughts about or anything you'd like to share with regard to an experience after a period of abstinence of relapsing? I don't because I can't figure it out. Well, wait. Really... All right, all right. Wait. Now, now you're now you're really inviting me in. <laughs> so, so when in, do you have a memory of a period of abstinence that you that's recent? Yeah. That yeah. that you uh, how long? Short lived. Well, let's well, not I'm judge sure. it. Let's 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 wait. Let's not editorialize and tell me a story that I'm not asking for. Okay. Let's respond to my questions specifically. So, yes, you have in your mind a period of abstinence. How long was it? Probably two weeks. Wonderful. That's a long period of abstinence. And how recent was that? A month or so ago. I'm abstinent yeah. now three days. All right, let's not go there because that's okay. wonderful. That's good. But I want to go back a month or so ago when you had two weeks of, of uh, abstinence. All right. And you were pleased with yourself for having a couple weeks of abstinence. What did you do to break your abstinence? What did you eat? Oh, my gosh. It's always either... No, 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 no. I'm not asking you to speculate. I'm asking you to remember specifically. You had two weeks of abstinence and you relapsed because you ate something. What did you eat? It was ice cream. All right. 
So you had two weeks of abstinence and part of your plan is not to eat ice cream. And that was your commitment. And so two to five minutes before you ate the ice cream, tell me what you were thinking, conscious of, or feeling. I can't remember. Yes, you can. No, no, I don't accept. You can remember. You had two weeks of abstinence and you relapsed. You're damn right you can remember. Come on, work with me here. I'm not trying to, I'm not asking you to fake it. I'm asking you to go back to, were you at home or were you out? I was at home. All right. You were at home and tell me what you were thinking about in terms of uh, eating ice cream. What was the, what was the thinking going into that after two weeks of abstinence? The thinking was, because I wasn't emotional, I wasn't mad, but the thinking was, I want it so bad, and I'm going to have it, just like a selfish kid. Okay, I, I want, um, what flavor was it? It was a um, vanilla cone that comes wrapped with nuts on top, I forget what they're called. Drumsticks. Do you, there and, you go. And you had it in your freezer? Yes. Okay, all right. And I, so buy you, them, I buy them by the bunch for my husband, and guess who eats the majority of them? All right. So when did you become conscious that you buy them for your husband and that you eat them? That I don't remember. It's always there. I always use that as an excuse. All right. So you have a cycle of buying a box of drumsticks for your husband and of eating them and breaking your abstinence. Yes. This is perfect. <laughs> Well, wait a minute. What's Don't buy them anymore. Well, 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 yeah. What's wrong yeah. with you? That you don't remember to remember to buy, not buy the box because you always eat it and he never does. Oh, no, he does. Oh, no. You know what I mean. Don't, don't, don't get picky now. You stay with the drift of what we're trying to do here. This is not okay. about being right. This is about having an experience with this. You have been cyclically buying a box and eating it. He has some, sure, but you eat it and thinking that when you buy it, it's for him and never remembering that you're going to eat most of it. What's wrong with you? I'm an addict. Okay. Now, I see you're, 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 you're actually preventing yourself from having an experience because you want to be glib. And I'm okay. not asking you to be right what? or glib. I'm what asking you to hear what I'm saying and take it in. All right. What is wrong with me? I don't know. I mean, um, what is the question? I mean, is that a question you ask yourself? Yeah, I, I argue with myself. What business are you doing? I, I, I mean, I remember holding the package, the box, and saying, you know that this is trouble. You know that the temptation's too great. You don't need to take it home. My husband doesn't care. He doesn't have a weight problem. Did you, ever, did you ever what? think that thought before when you were buying a box of uh, drumsticks? Yes. I how, do many, how many times have you thought that thought and bought the, bo the, bro bought the box anyway? Probably three boxes of them. 
Yeah. There, so re, uh, a regular repetitive cycle that you keep repeating. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So are you making a decision? You mean like in step three? No. I'm, no, I'm, I'm talking about buying a box of drumsticks. Yeah. I was making a decision really? to continue to eat really? the wrong things. You are making a decision, really, huh? And, and so you, you, you make a decision to relapse every time you buy a box of drumsticks. Well, I don't think I am, but yes. That's right. I don't think I am. And therefore, I'm not making a decision. I'm being hijacked by a thought that is a lie. I mean, you're, you're so wrapped up in the story and the lie that you can't even see it here as we're talking about it. You're right. I am being hijacked by the insane thinking. Yeah. Well, insane in the sense of it's not healthy. No, it's not. It's not healthy to continue to do things that you don't want to do. All of my sponsors always says, you cannot have that stuff in the house. At least not now. You okay. cannot. All right. Well, this takes me down a different road of interrogation then. So okay. you have, here you have, no, no, this is wonderful that you revealed this. So you have a, why do you have a sponsor? Because she does help me and guide me. All right, but but you select as to what you'll accept and and respond to. Yes. Okay. How's that working for you? Well, it's not gotten me very far. You've had several sponsors who have given you direction, and you select what you want to do and what you don't want to do, and. And you don't get what you want to do, which is abstinence. Yes. Yeah. All right. How, how healthy thinking is that? Not very. No, it's not. So if you want to have what they're suggesting that you might have, then you take all of their suggestions. And if you don't like their suggestions, you get a new sponsor whose suggestions that you will do. So there's even an obsession and a delusion here. I have a sponsor. No, I really don't. Ooh. I, I, I have some kind of a parent that I can con and I'll do what I want and Ooh. I'll pretend that I'm in the fellowship. Well, that isn't fair to say because she does give me good advice, but just like you said before uh, with Fred or Jim, you said they didn't give up on him. They went back. What, how many times did he drink? And she stuck with me. No, I understand. I'm, I'm in admiration of your sponsor, but I'm, I am but, I'm, but I'm here talking to you who is being selective about taking the actions in response to sponsor direction. What do you expect is going to happen if you're selective in the directions? I'll continue relapsing. Okay. And crawling so, back and starting over again. 
Okay. I mean, that's been your history, so that's probably the truth, isn't it? It is. Yeah. And so, as chapter 5 says, until you're rigorously honest, you're not going to get this thing. Chapter 5? Chapter 5. Yeah, you know what chapter 5 is in the big book? No. I mean, I've got it right here in front of me. Yeah, how it works. How it works. Do you hear that? What does that What does that mean? How it works? Well, if you want to become sober or abstinent, this is what it takes. There you go. And it says rigorous honesty is the foundation. With yourself and with your sponsor. Rigorous honesty. Mm. Yeah. Mm. There you go. Now you're hearing me. Yes. I, I feel it. I see it. You're hearing me finally. Thank you. I, I like what you said, Herb, about it's a puzzle that you saw the pieces there, but you could never really put it quite together. And, yeah. and it really is just the way it was for me all those years, Herb. Yeah. I always thought I was weak that um, I didn't have enough willpower, that I should be listening to my wife, but I don't care about her. But I never know why. I mean, any thought of any consequence or anything just didn't exist. I mean, I would go through the weekend. I mean, I always look forward to Friday night after work because I felt like I could drink the way I wanted to. But naturally, you know, I'd drink too much and I'd pass out on the couch. Saturday, I'd drink all day. I would drink Saturday night with my wife. And on Sunday, my wife was always saying to me, do you have any idea how much you drink? Why don't you just quit drinking for a couple of days? Yeah. And I'd say, okay, that sounds like a really good idea. Let's quit drinking for a couple of days. I'm not that. I, I won't drink again till next Friday, I promise. And on Monday, after work, I'm coming home and I'm this clever, clever guy, you know, so I put myself in a spot and the thing is is that I would start and I wouldn't even have any idea where it came from it was like it would come from nowhere I wouldn't really think about it till the next day and then the next day I'd say oh my god I did it again I passed out on the couch last night after I told her I wasn't going to drink till Friday well I'm starting fresh today by golly and that night didn't matter what I said on Monday because it all happened again the same thing on Tuesday. Yeah, yeah. our our uh, cycle similar to all of your words, but it was an ag- literally a conscious agreement with my wife that Monday night we weren't going to drink. We on Monday morning, before I left for work, she was a stay-at-home mom. We would agree we're not going to drink tonight and until Friday. We'll wait till Friday because it's interfering with our life. And on Monday night, she would be drinking because she changed her mind. And of course, if she did, then I would. Or I would be drinking when I came home. So then she would be drinking. Or I would come home and she and I were not drinking. But we danced around the kitchen and the liquor cabinet until one of us broke for it and we drank. And then Tuesday morning, we got up and said, okay. This was a conscious conversation that we had. Yes. We would say we're not going to drink tonight until Friday. Tuesday yes. night, a complete repetition. Wednesday morning, a complete repetition. Wednesday night, a complete repetition. And when this man teased that out of me in a 
tedious conversation like I've been having here where I keep asking for the details, the details, the details. That was what broke it open for me. I was just going to say that, you know, I've had many years of good sobriety, but I had a limited experience. And so now it's beginning to open up and some things are being uh, revealed to me. And I'm seeing that what I thought I understood about powerlessness and a phenomenon of craving and obsession, I was so limited, Herb. And this is just the most fantastic thing because I'm seeing, oh, now I see why I did what I did, even when I had good intentions. I mean, there were, you know, Herb, you know, we were periodic hard drinkers. There were many times that I exhibited horrible behavior while drunk and said the next day, wow, the next time it's definitely going to be different. I'm going to figure this thing out. Oh, yeah. No, I, I quit drinking tequila because that was certainly not the right thing for me because I, I got mean when I drank tequila. Yeah. Not realizing uh, that I had the same reaction to vodka and whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> so this is like a, a great uh, awakening for me to be able to learn these things and know them because it just gets me fired up because I know more is to come. I, uh, it's, it's nice to know that um, I really wasn't weak, that I really wasn't consciously making a decision to go against things. It's just that. I had no choice. I was hijacked into it. I believed the lie and I went along with it. And you know what the thing is, is that I kept doing the same thing over and over and over again. And, and despite the fact you have 29 years, number one, this is going to deepen your own relationship with step one, which will give you a bigger experience with step two, but it will also allow you to be more effective with the people that you try to help. Thank you, Herb my experience with mental obsession so far I, I was reading the story about Fred yesterday and I can remember that I read the story a year ago when I did the workshop for the first time and at that time I thought that I didn't like him I didn't like Fred because he seemed so arrogant and um, having so little consciousness of himself and his own behavior and <laughs> looking down to other people and now that I'm doing the workshop for the second year, I realized that I was behaving like him for a whole year, thinking that I'm not as bad as other food <laughs> addicts and that I'm going to figure it out myself with maybe a little bit of help of the group. <laughs> but um, because I haven't, you know, come to the extent of other food edits, um, it's not going to be that hard. And actually it was, um, it didn't lead nowhere. Like the whole year was um, running in circles. And um, so which 12 step program are you in? OA. And um, how long have you been uh, in OA? approximately uh so i've been in i started with fa so i've been in food fellowships for almost three years three years okay and um during that time have you had a, a recently in the last year or two have you had a period of abstinence um no no 
not yeah. even a day? Yeah, my I, I get I think the longest period that I had was twenty seven days. But All right. how long ago was that? Ago. No, you had twenty in the beginning. Days. In the beginning. In the beginning you had twenty seven days. That sounds like a nice long stretch. You must have been pretty happy with yourself. Yeah. All right. Did you have a sponsor? Yeah. Were you talking to the sponsor? Yeah, yeah, she was. Yeah, she was the best sponsor I had at that time, yeah. All right. And so during that time, you were talking to your sponsor during this 27 days. What did you relapse on? What was the food? What was the occasion? Where were you? I think a friend of mine brought some cookies that she baked herself. Yeah. To your house? Yeah, yeah. Right, because I was sick. Yeah, yeah, I was sick. And mm -hmm. um, she brought me the cookies. Yeah. Right. And so she brings you the cookies. And what are you thinking and feeling and aware of at that point? Um, I kept the cookies. I thought I'm not going to eat them. I, I wanted just to be nice, you know, to, yes. to appreciate her gift. But yes. I thought, yes, I said, look, I'm grateful. still... Right. Yeah, so I said, look, I'm, I'm sick. I don't feel like eating the cookies, but I'm going to eat them when I feel better. And I had no intention of eating them. Yes. No, you were being uh, nice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you for and your then, consideration. And I'm, I'm going to really <laughs> enjoy these cookies. And, and you didn't have to tell her the truth. Okay, so the cookies are there and, and you're sick. And what happens? And then she left and I wanted just, just half. I thought I'm going to eat just like half of one. I'm going to eat half of one. Yeah. You have 27 days of abstinence. You're talking to a sponsor. You're in a 12-step program because you want to manage your food properly and in a healthy way. And your thought is, I'm going to eat half of one. Was there any resistance to that thought? Was there any thought around that thought? No, I don't think so, no. Yeah, yeah. And mm -hmm. so then you had the half of cookie? I had all of them, yeah. <laughs> of course you did. Of course you did. Of course you did. All right. So how much resistance, how much thought did you put into that? In, into when, before resisting, I started? Or? Resisting the half a cookie. None. I don't think. I, no, I don't think. I, no, all I was thinking about is to to have a strategy to to eat half of the cookie. Like what would be what would justify eating it? Yeah, yeah. So you seem reasonably intelligent and committed to your program. What's wrong with you after twenty-seven days of abstinence that you didn't offer up more resistance? Yeah, I think that, that delusion applies very well to me. <laughs> <laughs> and you have a good sense of humor about it. That's right. That's right. But th see, that's making the point, though. And that's why I get really specific is there's no resistance. And even if there is some mm -hmm. thought about it, I'm going to have half a cookie. It doesn't even sound like that was much of a real thought for you. Mm. 
Now, of course, once you take the half a cookie or the first cookie, then the rest is history. You've pulled the trigger and you're going to eat all of the cookies, right? Yeah. 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 All right. What's really going on is the codependency. And so my story real quick, uh, boyfriend breaks up with me July 15th. It's over. I leave. I go home. I put it on the shelf. My grandchild's born. I go take care of my grandchild. Life is good. Boyfriend calls me a month later saying, sent me an email to forgive him. And I lost it. I lost it. I went into the obsession, the delusion. Oh my gosh, we can get back together if he does this, this, and this. I got so obsessed with the whole idea that we could get back together. Now, this is the third time that he broke up with me. Do you think I would learn? No. Well, Do you think I would? well yeah, yeah, you would if you were normal, but clearly you're <laughs> not, though. Um, but are you in a uh, CODA or Al-Anon or one of the codependent 12-step fellowships? <clears throat> No, I've been so active in AA and then FA and now OA that I, and I really didn't think I had a problem in, um, you know, right. code. I've been in this relationship for 17 months. Everything was fine. Um, so, so I need. Wait, 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 wait. You, no, I'm a little confused because you said you've broken up with him three times. And now you just said you're in a relationship with him for 17 months and everything is fine. Help me sort oh, I'm that. Sorry. I'm sorry. Um, we were in there for 17 months together. Everything was fine. Didn't think I need CODA. I really needed to stay with my food addiction and work on that. It was only when he broke up with me and I realized that I was codependent and the, and there's something wrong with me to think that if he did X, Y, and Z, we could get back together. There's something wrong with me. I need help. Well, um, but um, see, I'm again, I'm, I'm going to pursue this a little bit because I, you said that you broke up with him three times. I'm, I'm not hearing it. You had a relationship with him for 17 months. During that period, did you break up? We broke up, right. And this, yes, we broke up. And J July of this year was the third time we broke up. Oh, in the 17 months. Correct. So you didn't have a relationship for 17 months. Well, we broke up for three weeks or two weeks. or. So you didn't have a relationship for 17 months. Correct. All right. No, no. See, the lie that you're telling yourself is that you had a relationship for 17 months. You didn't. Thank you for clarifying that. You had a relationship for five months, and then you broke up. You had a relationship for five months, and then you broke up. You had a relationship for five months, and then you broke up. Right. You didn't have a relationship for 17 months. You had a cyclical relationship for 17 months, but you broke up three times. Now, all right. So... Are the reasons that you broke up, that he broke up with you, or you broke up with him? He broke up with me. So he threw you away three times, and each time he put the bait on the hook, you came back. Correct. What's wrong with you? <laughs> That's why I signed up for this group. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. How much? And, and what you, you really did describe very well, uh, from my standpoint, the compulsion and the obsessive thinking that went into it once he threw out the, the bait. It was awful. And thank God you taught me about obsession and yeah. insanity and delusion because I just realized, well, that's what I'm going through. It, yeah. Don't worry about it. You know, I kept praying and praying and praying. 
and um, finally came to the decision, it's over. But well, you know what, Bob, but, but Herb, in the back of my mind, there's a little teeny weeny bit saying, maybe if he, I want to get rid of that. Well, good. At least you're conscious of it and you're not acting on it. Um, meanwhile, you do you have a sponsor in AA? I have a sponsor in OA. All right. So you don't have a sponsor in AA, and yet that's your primary program. Well, I've been sober for 17 years, so food is really what... So what I did is I ate over this situation. Now, food is really what I'm working on now. I, I understand. I'm going to come back. Is AA your primary program? I don't know what that means, because I, I have so many addictions. Well, um, your introduction to 12-step recovery was in AA? Correct. And you're sober 17 years? Correct. Did you... Are you still connected to AA? I go to Zoom meetings and I have friends in AA. So you're not really much connected to AA. Okay, so then you, you, I can see why you don't have a sponsor in AA. Then. So now you're connected to OA, did you say? Correct. And you have a sponsor in OA? Correct. Have you talked about this codependency cycle with your sponsor in OA? Yes, I have. Oh, okay. All right, good. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, so um, I suggest that you really just focus on your current active relationship program OA and do this work and see if it probably uh, indirectly deals effectively with this codependency, which I suspect it will. Okay, great. Yeah. All right. Okay. Um, you know, I feel like I, I might be getting the will and the mind confused here, but something that's been coming up in the past few weeks is um, immaturity. Mm -hmm. And I feel like right before I'm going to fall off the wagon or whatever we want to call it, my motives are always very immature. It's very me driven or, you know, somebody told me, um, all right, so rather than try to describe uh, uh, in a conceptual way, um, do you have a period recent of abstinence where you had a relapse that you want to talk about? Sure, there's plenty. And, 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 in, and what is your 12-step fellowship again? OA. All right, and so um, what is the length of time of the abstinence that you have in mind? Uh, it was about... 30 days, I would say. All right. And how recent is that? It was last year in October. Okay. So just a year ago, you had 30 days and you had tried really hard before that and you finally had 30 days and you're really happy with yourself. Did you have a sponsor? Yes. Were you talking to the sponsor? Yes. Probably not as well as I should have, but yes. What does that mean? Um, well, I wasn't doing everything I needed to be doing, which is why I eventually well but you're you're saying you were you weren't you were talking to your sponsor but you weren't telling her the truth and you weren't following her direction right toward the end right yeah. toward the end of what the 30 days so it started off me doing it all correctly and then i progressively started to omit information yeah yeah you 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 progressively became dishonest right. and so what did you re relapse on what was the mm, 
What did you eat? Do you remember? I don't remember, but I know it was probably around a birthday party, cake, okay. uh, birthday right. So yeah, probably cake. If you can reconstruct somewhat the situation, what were you thinking or feeling after 30 days of hard-earned abstinence, you're thinking about eating some cake? Uh, well, I've earned this. Uh, it's been 30 I've, I've, I've earned it. I've, right. I've, yeah, I've, all right, what else? Um, yeah, I mean, it's basically that. I think my ego just takes over. I've done so well, I can definitely handle it now. I can handle this now. Have right. you ever had that thought before when you had uh, some abstinence at all? Every time. Yep. Um, how many times would that have been repeated, perhaps, in your efforts at? I mean, I feel like that is my entire, even with like process addiction, okay. it's always, I've got it this time. Okay. I've got it this time. It's the obsession of, I've got control this time. Yeah. All right. And, and that, are you saying that's never worked? Never. Well, what's going to be different now? <laughs> I don't know. No clue. Yeah. Okay. I mean, my practice and, you know, having to do this, I see why you started with us doing the, the morning practice, because it's kind of centering us in the morning, getting us connected to our higher power and not a day run on self-will. Because when I run the day on self-will, then I inevitably think I have control and I'm driving the bus again. And here we go down the merry-go-round again. Yeah. And, and I can't control whether I have that thought or not. That's right. really the issue. Right. A connection to power. That's the real point. I'm glad we're bringing it to conclusion on this conversation because that's the real point. That okay. is, I think I have power. Even if I'm not conscious that I think that, I must think that because I relapse. I'm not connected effectively to a power other than myself. Otherwise, I would be in a position of neutrality. Sometimes I think about it in a way that I have it, and sometimes I don't think about it at all. I just, I'm doing it before I even think about it. Right. Yeah. This is why it's in step one, no choice, powerless. These are words we hear so many times we become brain dead to it. That's why it's so important to use the worksheet on the mind, not as a test to be completed or a task to be accomplished, but as a prompter to challenge myself in the same way that I'm doing with this verbal challenge is to really get really specific as to how clear is my thinking? How clear is my decision? How much power did I have? How much power don't I have at that particular moment to resist the action? Right. Yeah. The thought, the knowledge, the power, the decision before we ingest or engage. What happens after we do is of no doubt and no relevance because that's all about the doctor's opinion. What we're looking at is 
that five minutes of awareness, of consciousness, of feeling, of premeditation, how much is in that or how much is missing? Are we aware? Are we conscious? Do we have feelings about it? Are we making a decision? What does it mean, powerless and no choice? And when you read um, Fred's story, and even the Jaywalker story, again, be thinking about those kinds of questions. I constantly promise myself I'm not going to, and then I get right back into it all over again. And I have never realized I've, I've made excuses out around why they, they, I need this. I, it's, it's, uh, so round and round I've gone. But, uh, but so what I'm, you're describing is your experience with seeing for the first time this cycle of rationalization. Yes. Because that's really what it is. And, you know, there's nothing essentially wrong with eating whenever you want to, unless, in fact, you're committed to a program where you don't do that and where you have any desire to lose weight or have a different body size. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can do anything that you want as long as you're willing to live with the consequences, right? Yes, yes. The point is... What are you thinking? Yeah. That's all. Mm -hmm. and, and how effective has your thinking been? Yeah. That, that, these are the only questions. Yep. Yeah. Well, and, and on your own power so far, it seems like you've cyclically not been very effective. Definitely not. Yeah, yeah. And the promise of this process is not about the food or the addiction primarily. It's about our relationship with power. Mm -hmm. And then as a byproduct of that, you will be empowered to live in neutrality with regard to your addiction. Well, and I've even beat myself up about the fact that I don't have a very, I must not have a very good um, a relationship with my higher power. And, uh, not that I'm not trying to get it and grow it. But, but rather than beat yourself up with the negative thought, see it as a potential fact. I'm not saying whether it is or isn't true, but say, well, this may be the problem. All right, and, and that's a diagnosis. It's not a judgment, it's just a diagnosis. So what can I do about it? Mm -hmm. How can, I mean, this is rhetorical for you now to think about this. What could you do today? What could you do tomorrow that would incrementally move you in a direction of potentially having a better relationship with a higher power? That, that really is rhetorical. I'm not looking for an answer. I mean, I'm not trying to stop you from answering it, but I, I want you to really ask yourself that question. Okay. And maybe on a daily basis as part of your quiet time or morning meditation. Mm -hmm. 
I I am I I will I will do that. And, yeah. And I, yeah. Uh, and and be gentle. It's not about negativity and beating yourself up and bemoaning your failure and oh my self pity quicksand. No, that's that's not healthy. It's human. It's just not healthy. It doesn't help us. Yeah. I realized that one of the reasons why I kept breaking was because I really wasn't willing. That's hard for me to say, Herb, but I, I, I'm going to do my best to call, call it what it is. And especially with reading Jim's story and, and everybody's story, I was not willing. I wanted the food more than I wanted my sanity more than I wanted a right-sized body. Yeah. What Does, brought you to that awareness? I'd be very interested. The readings I've been doing, mm -hmm. listening to everybody's shares, yeah. listening to you, I think that it's a combination of everything. Yeah, good. I can say that I'm getting a connection with my higher power, that I, that I do have one. But in the back of my mind is my fear that I'm going to have a break because that's what I do. That is my Otis operandi. Yeah, that's, a, that's just, it's a, it's a mild trauma. It's kind of a mild condition response that you have. But as you practice and are uh, meeting your own expectations, that be, that'll diminish over time, but it might take several months for that awareness and that feeling to go away, but it will eventually go away. Okay. And then I hear you talk about neutrality, that once yeah. we start doing step, I think it's eight, nine, 10 or nine, 10, 10, 11 and 12, 10, 11 and 12. We will then have neutrality. Right. Okay. It can't happen before then. Oh, it could. Absolutely. Um, my own case, on February 20th, they, uh, 1984, they asked me to quit eating, eat, quit drinking, and um, I quit. My last drink was February 20th. My sobriety date is February 21st. I didn't go to AA for another two months. I didn't pray. I didn't make a decision to quit. It was just removed. Oh, yeah. No, it can happen at any time. Absolutely. So, but, chance, but chances are, because I've relapsed well, so we don't many know. times. We, 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 you know, there's no predicting, except that I can say with certitude what the book says. There may be an indication in step three. Okay. There may Read page 63, the, the promises at the top of page 63. There may be in the end of the fifth step. Read those promises at the end of page 75. It's, it's indicative, but it's not, it doesn't confirm. But after step nine, in step 10, it confirms it black and white. Correct. If you, when you finish your ninth step, you will be placed in a position of neutrality. So that's all I can say is. When it, when it will happen is not... Uh, nothing that we can predict or, or precipitate. I just wish I could fast track to nine. Well, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you watch too many Disney movies. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs>
I, I don't want to live in this fear, Herb. I don't, yeah. I'm yeah. afraid that if I break, I don't have another start in me this time. Well, you see, that's your ego. Talking that's what to I wanted you. to know. That's just your ego talking to you. That's just not true. All right. Okay. But it also is not a necessary thought. So when the thought comes, just pray for the removal of the thought and the fear that goes with it. Okay, that's then, what I wanted to and, and then talk to somebody about it. You engage that 10th step. It says when we're disturbed, fear is one of the things that disturb us. Engage that 10th step. Pray, talk to your sponsor perhaps, or anybody, and then try to help somebody. That's when you give back. That's when you yeah. do, sir. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Thank you. The biggest pattern for me is um, believing after a certain amount of time um, that, I that I have neutrality. Yeah. <laughs> you right. know, that I feel like I've, I've, I got it, like somebody said well, last I mean, that's a wonderful feeling, but what does it mean to you? What do you change when you have that feeling? when I feel like I have it, like I got it, yep. that, that then I will be able to, to eat whatever. And then uh -huh. it will not, yeah, it will not, I will be normal, normal, you know? And um, maybe page 30 made an impression on you and it said that we uh, will never be normal. Yeah. yeah. What is, let me just quote it. It's such a powerful phrase because Bill knows who we are as human beings. We're not different, no matter what our addiction is. It says, the delusion that we are like other people, or presently may be, has to be smashed. Mm -hmm. I don't care whether you have five months, five years, or five decades. Mm -hmm. Not one person who is an addict on this call will ever be normal and a non-addict. Mm -hmm. It will, it's just never going to happen. Once a pickle, always a pickle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 It, I mean, yeah. once we can lean into and accept and embrace that, then that, that thought, I've got it now. I can eat whatever it is like I would if I were normal. That's, that's that lurking notion that someday I'll be okay. Yeah. And yeah. that's why we're spending so much time on it so that we actually do smash that delusion. Yeah. Yeah. And so here's the thing. I decided that it was time for me to look up the word obsession again in the dictionary. And you know, this is something that I hadn't seen before. Um, when you scroll down to the very bottom where it talks about root words, uh, it comes from a 16th century root word that means siege. And I thought, wow, yeah. there was never a more perfect yeah. uh, picture of what the mental obsession does to my mind. It is an all-out siege, and I literally have no effective mental defense against that first bite. Yeah. And, yeah. and I am, you know, gotten even more fully convinced that I'm beyond human aid um, but, you know, just going back and having that step one experience where we're all talking about how we got into our last relapse, um, 
yeah, I mean, I have got to have God because I literally don't have a defense. So I, I'm just grateful. Thanks so much. It, it sunk into a new level. Yeah, thank you for that. I'm, I'm actually marking my big book in the margin with that term because it's so powerful. It really pastors yeah, the underbelly of the word, doesn't it? Yeah, it sure does. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and that's really the um, purpose of this going over it, going over it, going over it, going over it. Oh, my God, will we never be done, you know? And, yeah, we will be, but not before we embrace and potentially have a deep experience because we've allowed it to saturate us. Yeah. Yeah. Dishonesty uh, about myself, what I do to myself, playing these little games with uh, caffeine with a little creamer. I'm not supposed to have creamer. I have uh, some protein powder to go along with my exercise as as a senior citizen. And I don't tell my sponsor about that. That's not on my food plan. I rationalize it as uh, nobody will know. I can get away with it. Hey, I'm doing everything else. I'm not giving this up. I'm not in the bars chasing women or selling or doing drugs anymore, you know, Nobody's perfect, and uh, <laughs> well, that's a good one. <laughs> um, <laughs> let's see where was it going, but it it hasn't been effective. It's been masking, uh, medicating throughout the day, but it's still with the mind blocking me from having the best. Um, consciousness with God that I could have yeah I feel like it's a it sends my uh, hamster on a, a wheel you know where I can't um, listen to what God really would like to tell me and uh, comprehend or, or have that connection and uh, But then there's the willingness. I mean, it's like I'm not flipping willing right now. I I know I need this program. My I'm, I've got that revolver with four or five bullets in it playing Russian roulette. You know, like you said, my mom OD'd at 50. My dad drank to the graveyard. It's a blessing. I haven't run back to the alcohol or drugs in 32 years. But with food, you know, it's just... Uh, a lot of people commit suicide with our, uh, and that's what the disease wants. Yeah, intentionally or unintentionally, and um, yeah, and want to be five hundred pounds. And it's probably not. It's probably not very consoling, but I really do recommend the food addicts here be very patient with themselves, and they hear me talk about freedom and neutrality and all of the wonderful words that you actually want to experience. And of course it's down the road some, and it's really going to be patience and trust this process that there will at some point be the gift of freedom. If you stay diligent and show up and, and as you said, not perfect. I mean, we're never going to transcend our humanity. 
At the same time, though, I hear that a bit. I can get away with it. You see, that's the delusion. That's the thought that's the obsession. It's a lie. Because even if, quote, you don't get caught or your sponsor doesn't know and there are no obvious consequences, number one, you know, and number two, there's always going to be consequences to unhealthy behavior, whether you're aware of it or not. So you never get away with it. At the very most, your body is corrupted. Uh, Excuse me, at the very least, your body is corrupted. At the very most, your soul is corrupted. So you never get away with it. But we don't know that, and we do believe it, all right, it's kind of like playing games as children with your parents and you didn't get caught and you, and you feel you got away with something. And yet you really never do. Exactly. Yeah. So um, where I was going with that is another mantra. And I love these quick little hits to help us remind ourselves of the value proposition. And so I, I challenge people, how free do you want to be? Now, you may not even be able to translate that into something that's tangible because I know what it means to be as free as I could never have imagined 30 years ago. So even asking the question is unfair because you have no way of creating the reality that's in front of you with fidelity to this program you have been i could not i could not i mean that i have a joy every day that i'm a published author with three books that i'm you know etc etc that i have a family that's together and and recovered and it's kind of like you know how do you get here from there it's not possible And yet here I am, and I could never have written the script. Yeah. I've got a life that I'm so blessed, but what I just sabotaged myself. Got eight beautiful grandkids, a beautiful wife, everybody's healthy, nice home, a job that's been uh, bountiful through the COVID. God's blessed me for years, but I keep myself in tension because of my behavior. I call, I create that tension. See that, that awareness and ability to articulate it is a spiritual awakening. 90% of the human race could never have articulated that because they're not aware of it. So that's a real gift too. And, and, and hanging out with us and doing this work, a month, six months, nine months down the road, probably you're going to connect and get some traction with whatever this itch is uh, in you that's creating this awareness of suffering. Yeah. Sounds great. Thank you. It is great. Yeah, it is great. And It's good to have that perspective of gratitude for the wonder of your life. At the same time, if there's any area 
of dissonance in your life. That's the area that will take you out, if not dealt with. It's a small, 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 small issue, perhaps, but it's like a small cancer. If not treated, it metastasizes and it chokes the physical life out of you and the, the spiritual life, certainly. And you yeah. called it dissonance? Dissonance, yes. The lack of harmony. Yeah. Yeah. If there's any lack of harmony in your life, dissonance. Um, uh, uh, nails, nails on a blackboard. Yeah. Bad sound. It comes from the Latins of sound, sona meaning sound, sonar meaning sound, dissonance meaning like a really scratchy sound. <laughs> gotcha, okay. All right, well, thank you. I was a periodic. I had never heard that term before. Yeah. It wasn't my story that every time I ate sugar, I ate the whole bag. I had so many examples of, well, that Christmas, I only had a bite of your cake. You ate more cake than I did, you know? Yep. And that was really keeping me out of the rooms because I, I, even when I would get sponsored by women and they would say, you know, uh, well, it's just like, you know, you take one bite and you're off and running. And, and I was like, well, no, I'm not off all the time. That's it. But when I am, I really, really am. So and you can never predict, never predict. No. I never knew. I no. never knew. So it was really that term, the periodic, I, I could really opt in and identify in for the very first time with both feet. I'm so glad that you say it because I say it fairly regularly, but only every once in a while does somebody acknowledge that it was helpful. But it's enough that I know that it is because it's so uh, it's kind of unusual and it's not talked about very much. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. What happened five minutes before I ate to two minutes and my most frequent conversation is, oh, this won't matter. Yes. Oh, this won't matter. Yes. And what I've learned is that it's really a metaphor for I don't matter. Oh, nice. Or, or, or my abstinence doesn't matter. Yeah. Well, I don't matter because my abstinence doesn't matter. And yeah. what I have, I've jumped over that chism where, you know, to go to the winning side before, it was just like so about the food, uh, the, the relapse, and I just could not want to put the food down no matter what I did. And a lot of people tried to help me, and um, a lot of people gave me extra margin. Um, I like to think because I'm so charming and smart and whatever, but you know, the- Or manipulative. Well, okay, <laughs> that too. And, and, and narcissistic, narcissistic. I'll come in the room and take over the room. And um, I totally identify with that. Well, recovery, my experience is it's progressive too. And as you make one day at a time progress, I use the term thawing out physically for four years and then thawing out emotionally for a few years and then thawing out spiritually for a few years. I mean, literally it was thawing out. As I look back over my shoulder, I, I'm, I'm not talking literal, I'm just metaphorical uh, to explain this very glacially slow process of change. Now, um, 
it is going to be just what it is going to be, and we can't precipitate it by our own knowledge or our own actions, actually. That's the thing that gives us a slight amount of contentment and a slight amount of irritation at the same time. Yeah, that's really hard for me, uh, ultra controller and ultra achiever and yeah. uh, real hard fighter. And yeah. I want to get this right. I want to get it right fast. And and that's uh, a real been a real asset in your life. I would imagine that yeah. it's, it's been very rewarding at some points. It's also probably been a real source of irritation for you and the other people around you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would. My husband and sons would agree with that. Yeah, I seem to be the target for their arrows and slings a lot. You you paint a bullseye on your back. Yes, I do, and I have had to leave the dinner table because of their ridicule and they're making fun of me. They don't do it to my husband; they do it to me, and I seem to be a magnet for it. And I don't understand it. I do. That not is understand. true. But you I will don't. at the end of the fourth step. Okay. Yeah. Well, it feels like I just will need to go totally mute, you know? Well, um, I'm not sure exactly what you mean by that. Although, quite frankly, that could be a spiritual invitation to silence and to mm -hmm. attempt to practice that more than uh, control and or vo voicing your opinion and see if in fact that doesn't balance out you and your environment. I, I'm not suggesting it. I'm just saying do not throw that away. That was not an accident that you said that. Uh. Mm. I resonated very, very much for you with what you said. Yeah. That's painful because I feel like I have to give up my whole personality to be a non-addict. You know, like I just have to. Well, first of all, you're not going to be a non-addict ever. <laughs> and, and you're not giving up your personality. You're giving up your delusion of the mask that you're wearing that you think is your personality. Wow. And you don't know that you don't know because the mask fits so comfortably. But my tap dance has been so successful in so many places. And well, then, then continue it. Don't change it. No, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you. Yep, yeah, exactly. That's right. That's right. And I, so I'm hearing a little resistance. So again, re-examine your commitment to spiritual intervention of set aside. The spirit's coming at you with a crowbar. Yes. And you're, and you're battening down the hatches. Yes. <laughs> no. You're well, going to do fine. You're going to do fine. Because first, you've got a lot of great commitment, courage, and energy. And, um, but I hear the willingness. Yeah. The smashing of the delusion piece I'm really struggling with. Um, I well, have first, the, first of all, you, you can't do it. All right, you, you can't smash it. That would be the ego attempting to solve the problems of the ego by the ego. 
All right, so Einstein said the consciousness that created the problem cannot be the consciousness that solves the problem. We need, need a new consciousness. That's what this is about. A spiritual awakening is a new consciousness, and it's a gift of the spirit. So go ahead with what you're talking about. So m m my thing is, is that I've, I've always felt that I could, that I can, fix it and, and do better. Um, so, so that's my delusion that I'll do it tomorrow. I'll, it's always tomorrow. Mm. So I, I joke that if there was such a thing as procrastinators anonymous, that would be perfect for me. Yeah. Uh, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, a professional procrastinator and I truly believe that I, I could do it tomorrow. I, I understand and, and the I, delusion. What's underneath what does procrastination mean? What's underneath it? Do you have a sense of that? I just, I, I don't. But what I want to say is that I'm, I'm so pulled and enamored with the instant gratification that I'm not capable of doing the, the, the restriction for the long-term gain. Yeah, that's not really procrastination. That's really addiction and immaturity. I mean, that's, that's the inability for delayed gratification, which is the definition of immaturity, all right? A, a three-year-old does not know how to have delayed gratification. And as we become more adults, we learn if, in fact, we want to have a better life, that, that short-term pain gives us long-term gain. But that's the process here. But the word procrastination is just a fancy word for fear. Hmm. So does it still fit? Well, I don't know. Maybe not. What What does mean I'll do it tomorrow then? What would be a... Cause I, or I'll do it later. I'll do it later. I'll start well, tomorrow. Well, that, that certainly is procrastination, later. but why are you putting it off? What are you? What are you afraid of? Because I don't want to give up what I want, and I don't want to have to do what I don't want to do. Okay. So, so you really don't want to do it. You want to have it as an experience with a magic wand. You don't really want to do it. You want to have it without any work. Again, that's immaturity and the, the fantasies of a three-year-old. So how do I how do I roll that into um, accepting it not just in my head but in my heart and and leading to the steps of it being smashed? What what do I do to make that happen? You're, you're coming at this. It's wonderful. Um, the presenting problem as you see it right now. It may not be what actually it turns out to be, and I don't know anything here. I'm just saying that, so go into step one with this awareness that you're addicted to immediate gratification and uh, you're adverse to delayed gratification and deal with the parts of step one and the questions of the body and the mind and the will when we get to it um, around that and be very, very, very patient until we get to the fourth step because so much is going to be revealed in the fourth step 
a good friend of mine says, the fourth step itself is the first step in writing because we really see our powerlessness over our resentments. We really see our powerlessness as displayed in our fear. We really see our powerlessness as manifest in our dishonesty and our inappropriate sexual behavior. And, and so as we do the fourth step, we have a whole new experience with the underlying powerlessness. So just be patient. You, you've at least named something that you're aware of is the dynamic that interferes with you getting what you want, or at least what you think you want. Okay, thank you. Yeah, yeah. well, I, I'm, that may be very unsatisfactory as a response to your question. Um, if you can, in fact, just embrace it, lean into it, and do this work. And by the time you're finished the fourth step, report back to us um, the, this very conversation and what your experience is with finishing the fourth step. I'd be very surprised if this doesn't bring it home for you by the time you finish the fourth step. Now, we're, now, we're talking about six months from now. So, you know, that's kind of the catch-22 for you. <laughs> you wanted an answer today. <laughs> and, and I'm already telling you it's going to be in six months you'll have your answer. <laughs> I think just as long as I know that there's, I think hearing the fact that I can't smash it is, I think, what I needed to hear right now because yeah. I feel like I'm just failing at accomplishing yet another thing. Well, that's, see, but that's a recognition of your powerlessness. I am failing in smashing. That's exactly right. We learned that we had to fully concede to our innermost self that we were addicts. The delusion that we are like other people or presently has to be smashed. It doesn't say we have to smash it. It says it has to be smashed. It's going to be done. And I mentioned um, when we looked at the very second meeting that we had, we looked at Appendix 2, The Spiritual Awakening. And I said, it's an awakening, all right, but it's done to us, not by us. And that's my experience in each of the steps on the journey. Oh, I do a lot of work to show up and do the writing and the reading and the reflection, etc. But the impact on me of that work is disproportionately larger than the work that I contributed. By, by virtue of that, I, I evaluate that there is a power other than myself that's in the mix here, that X plus factor. It's mystery. I, I can't explain it. I just observe it and try to name it. Okay, thank you. Oh, thank you. Wonderful discussion. Thank you so much. One, do you have a sponsor? Yeah, well, that was actually my addendum to this. So I have, a, I have a wonderful sponsor in Al-Anon that I've been working with for a while. She's very gentle and that works for me, I think, with what I'm learning in my codependency work. And I'm actually on step nine there. Well, I'm in step eight. I have my step But nine. it doesn't matter because my point was that you talk to your sponsor about that very issue. Uh -huh. 
And in terms of the tool that you would use to deal with this agitation that you have, it, it does involve some inventory, but I call it the 10th step. Ah, okay. prayer, yeah. talking, yeah. inventory, making an amends if you've done something that you need to clean up right now, and then and trying to help somebody up. else. That's why I introduce it right at the beginning of the workshop so that it could take these uh, sort of disturbances as the speed bumps as they occur that you can deal with them with this tool while we're getting down to the fourth step to do the mother load of all inventory. Yeah, because I think sometimes, so I've actually been utilizing that and it's been really helping me like in the moment right. I'm praying, finding a fellow or even a text or whatever. Um, in that process, do you feel that there needs to be a, a specific kind of like inventory that happens of like figuring out exactly what character defects are coming up to if, create the emotional. Do, do what is necessary. Yeah. Step 10 is a recap of steps one through nine. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So there have been times when I have in fact <clears throat> sat down and wrote out some step 10 stuff. I don't normally write it out. I mostly just talk it out with somebody. But there are times when I need to take a look at a character defect and unpack it a little bit by journaling and mm -hmm. then talking about it with somebody so that I get it, the relief of talking about it type thing. Mm -hmm. So shape it to your needs. Yeah. Yeah. So it might be that right now it requires like talking about it, doing some writing, whatever's going on and just make it work until we get to the fourth step and it kind of there's a more holistic. The, oh yeah. Okay. That makes sense. So we sort of do some, I do what I can to keep it together right now and we'll get to the more holistic thing in a couple months. At this, yes, 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 yes. At the same time, um, you might revisit what you do in meditation and, mm -hmm. and uh, have, make sure that you're spending some quality time quiet and listening for guidance. That's good. Yeah. All right. Thank you. That's really helpful. Thank you. Well, once again, the time has whizzed by. I really appreciate your showing up, your courage, your diligence, your vulnerability. Thank you so much. Please join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference.